Well, hello there, and thanks for finding us. I'd like to welcome you today to the Recycler Secret Podcast. Regardless if this is your first time or if you've been here since the beginning, it's my pleasure to engage your earballs, not your eyeballs. This podcast is an open and candid interview with an industry professional who specializes in recycling or a subset of materials management. During our time together, I hope to dive deep into the person, their organization, and most importantly, how to duplicate their success, which I broadly call the magic. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome today's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, today we are joined by Sarah Kelly from Calhoun County in Michigan. Sarah operates a rural uh, recycling and uh, resource coordination program, which includes uh, traditional drop-off facilities, uh, HHW program, um, most years, a tire collection event or two, and some various other activities. And we're just going to sit with Sarah today and talk a little bit about the, the challenges and the struggles that we're finding in rural Michigan as it relates to recycling infrastructure and getting residents to do the right thing. So, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. So, Sarah, take just a second from, from that introduction and tell me a little bit about Calhoun and, and what you do there. All right. So I am the Solid Waste Recycling Coordinator for Calhoun County, and we're lucky enough to actually have a host agreement with the CNC Landfill, which funds our solid waste program. And we try to serve all of our residents. Um, we're, you know, we're not a very highly populated county. However, our residents are very um, avid recyclers, very faithful to our household hazardous waste collections, really interested in scrap tire collections too. So they are, you know, we have a high participation rate. Uh, we also have a lot of haulers that don't offer recycling or areas that are not they don't have curbside recycling access. Very few single hauler contracts. So we're trying to fill this void of um, recycling accessibility within our county. Okay. So tell me about the facilities that you have for residents to drop off recycling today. Well, when I took over the program, we the solid waste program originally was in our, we had a road commission. And so our county, when it became legal to dissolve road commissions, we did. And so they took programs that did not fit under, you know, directly as a road commission type program and started moving them around. So like parks and recreation, planning, solid waste. So originally the solid waste program was moved into the environmental health department and that's where I kind of entered the scene. Um, and we started looking at, you know, what was this program? and um, what direction did we want to take the program because it had kind of just stayed at the same level and nothing new and no changes for a long you know period of time uh, what we what i started to realize um, was that there was it was pretty expensive to have roll-offs hauled from a recycling center and the demand at the Marshall Recycle Center was that we were having four roll-offs hauled three times a week, and we could not keep up with the stuff coming in, which was really hard because the public thought we weren't having the roll-offs hauled. And we'd tell them, no, they are get actually get hauled three times a week. No, they can't. There's always stuff on the ground. Well, it's, it's because people would leave stuff when the roll-offs were gone, or they would fill so quickly, and we just couldn't turn over the roll-offs fast enough 
uh, to keep enough capacity for people to recycle. And I mean, that's a, a good problem, but the problem we saw was it got to the point where we were paying around $100,000 a year just for one recycling center to have roll-offs hauled. And since we have a host agreement, we have kind of a set amount of money that we can expect you know, when you look at over several period, several years, what type of revenue you get from the garbage going into the landfill, you have an idea of what your operating budget can be. And so we started to look at it and realize that this was not self-sustaining, that especially as more stuff came in and people were less satisfied with how much room we had for them, this was going to just get way out of line with our budget very quickly. So at then, so we, have, we were looking at that and how do we solve that problem. Um, we ended up with a recycling center in Albion <laughs> that we didn't know was in development. And so we got the center in Albion and the hauler that had been servicing it got bought out by another hauler and that their contract also ended about the same time. And so uh, what we, as the new operators of this recycling center, we found out that what we had been, well, what the municipality had been paying the previous hauler for a year was almost the same amount as what the new hauler wanted per month. And it was new on our budget too. So it was kind of an eye-opening experience of all of a sudden we were concerned about this other center costing almost $100,000. And then we're looking at a center that was going to cost us $5,000 a month, and it wasn't even in our budget to begin with. And so we started thinking about what could we do. And luckily, I started talking to Jill Brown from Metro Recycling Solutions, and she kind of helped us come up with a business model that would take these two centers and move them away from roll-offs into basically operating as the smallest form of a MRF. And so the staff and volunteers sort the material. So people would, we, we set it and changed it. So we have set hours we, um, that we accept recycling. Volunteers and staff sort it, and it goes into semi-trucks when we're done, at, you know, at the end of the day. So we have boxes, so magazines in a box, clear glass in a box. So are you not bailing? You're just sorting into Gaylords? We, yeah, we don't have the capacity to bail okay. because we just don't have the space. Um, the one recycling center actually was um, a concrete pad on top of contaminated soil. And so we can't actually have a building there because of um, vapors that are trapped in the soil. Right. And the other one, um, we were going to build a building and then discovered that the road department building was so large that any additional um, space added to the building would require the entire building to have fire suppression mm. installed. And it's such an aged building that that was an expense that they weren't looking to do because we're, it's like, should we build a new Building. Unvisualized challenges, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. So we're making do <laughs> as best as we can with the facilities and looking at, you know, how could we operate this and provide a good service to people um, and then also generate recycling that was not at a 20 to 30 percent contamination rate because that's what we were finding at both centers and then people just leaving stuff all over the ground, which then littered, and both centers are right along the Kalamazoo River. And so it's not just unsightly, but it's not even just land pollution, but it's stuff, plastics getting into the water, and then you get into all the microplastic issues right. you run into too. So we changed it over 
And I mean, it really has cut the cost about in half for the Marshall Recycling Center. Albion is a little bit more expensive because Marshall, we were able to put in a compactor for our cardboard. Mm -hmm. So we ship compactor boxes of cardboard. Um, and those generally weigh ten to 12,000 pounds a piece. So generally we ship once a month for that. But in Albion, we, we only can use like a open top roll off. And so that doesn't hold as much. So we have to ship about weekly with that. And that's what gets expensive. So in the transition right now in the United States, we're seeing some changes in the value streams. How is mm -hmm. that affecting your operations? Well, definitely our revenue from selling material has dropped um, dramatically. Um, you know, I just, when we ship a truck, you know, at, at a good time on the market, we might get a check for like 80 to to $100 based on the material. Since we don't compact the stuff that goes on our trucks, everything is loose. So that means the truck is lighter. Um, generally, those trucks are... Oh, 10 to like 13,000 pounds. Um, so they're not a very heavy truckload. So, but I just got a check for a truckload and it was like 14 under, well, it was a little over $14. So we're not, <laughs> but we have the host agreement and that's where our revenue is. So when we went in, when we set up this recycle center model, it was the money we get from the recycling just offsets the cost. It's not something that, you know, makes or breaks the program. So let's pause there for a second. So mm -hmm. for a semi-trailer of gay-lorded recyclables, mm -hmm. and I'm assuming that's mixed plastics, papers, mm -hmm. cardboard, the whole nine yards, you received a check back for $14. Yes. One four point zero zero. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to talk through here with you is the economics of rural recycling. When you look at whether it's a roll-off style program mm -hmm. or a sorted program like yours, there's this cost to it. Now, mm -hmm. you've got what you've mentioned several times as a host fee. Mm -hmm. And for those who aren't familiar with what a host fee is, that's where the landfill has an agreement with the county, uh, typically based on siting of that landfill within the county, that uh, a per-ton dollar amount will come back to subset program of the county to be utilized to deal with solid waste in some way, shape, or form typically tied to recycling or HHW programs, household hazardous waste. So if you did not have the host fee money, if you did not have a landfill in Calhoun County, could you offer recycling today? Most likely not. I mean, it's just, we, we, have a, we do have a fund balance because we had um, previously on when it was under the road commission, the solid waste committee had really very conservatively spent the money. They were concerned about potential future issues with the landfill and thought that they needed to have a pot of money in case there was a problem with the landfill, which was not their responsibility at all. So when it fell under... It's the legacy fund. Yeah, yes, you, you yeah. don't need to take no, care of that. Yes, yeah. the, the Solid Waste Committee created right. their own legacy fund <laughs> for the landfill. It got to the point where it was... Um, it was about like $900,000 that they, yeah, that instead of increasing programming or enhancing programming, they just held on to this money. So um, while we were in the transition to changing it, our bills did get out of hand because hauling costs went up um, because of contamination levels and mm -hmm. just market prices. And so we did spend through some of the money 
because our bills exceeded the revenue that we were getting from the landfill for a few years until we could get both recycle centers set up and operating under a new model that is more self-sustaining and can generate a little bit of revenue. Um, when we were hauling roll-offs, our, we didn't have a rate that gave us a revenue back on the material except mm-hmm. for our newspaper because it's cheaper to haul the material if you don't get the rebate. So the hauler got the rebate on it. So it didn't help cover, you know, the right. costs of operating. Well, the but rebate it cut back washed the, in the it discounted washed hauling, the fee. hauling yeah. fee. Yes. Right. So there's a trade-off of that. But the public thinks a lot of times that we're making all this money off the recycling. And in reality, because of how the market is, I pay $75 a ton so people can recycle things like clear glass and mixed plastic. And I typically pay money so if people don't sort their paper well enough and I can't get it sorted well enough after I receive it for mixed paper. Mm-hmm. You know, I pay out money so people can recycle these items that they're very passionate and would like to see recycled. And the county doesn't want to drop items off what we accept. And so we continue to cover the increasing cost to recycle these hard to recycle materials as long as we can recycle them. Right. So within, within your program, if you did not have a landfill-based structure that provided you that host fee money, mm-hmm. you would have a very difficult time continuing to offer this program. Have you guys looked at a way to supplement this program in terms of Michigan has a couple different mm-hmm. programs, 138 and mm-hmm. PA69, which are both millage-based or not millage, but tax-based yeah. programs. Mm-hmm. Have you explored that? That Just with, you know, the atmosphere of our county adding more taxes and fees onto our residents for something that is not an essential service is not the direction that we want to go in right now and you made a comment that your residents believe that the county generates income from recycling Mm -hmm. How, how have you tried to educate the public in terms of what makes up your budget and how it looks and in how recycling is a service that the county provides at a cost. Have you, have you taken on that challenge? Not greatly. In the, in the past, um, I do have, uh, we have a new communications manager with Calhoun County, and she's standardized everybody's annual reports. And so I do talk in that annual report that will be going out to the commissioners and the public about that our funding comes from the host agreement. So we're not general, we're not through the general fund. We're not funded by tax dollars. Everything is based on what the landfill pays us and the small amount of money that we do get from the recycling that we sell. Okay. So besides funding, what is your largest detractor or concern as it relates to recycling within Calhoun County right now? Oh, I think just trying to get people to understand that there are certain things that you can't recycle or some things that are uh, very specific and they need to be handled in a special way. So like plastic bags, they are not ideal to go to a recycle center and they can't go into your curbside cart. If you really want to recycle your grocery store bags, you need to take them to a grocery store or store that specializes in collecting those bags if you want them recycled. It's not something that 
a small center can do. And, you know, we can't really recycle. If people put their stuff in plastic bags and bring it to us, a lot of times those bags are wet and dirty. And at that point, they can't be recycled anymore. It needs to be like after you take your groceries out, that's a clean, dry bag that can be recycled. But I think a lot of people don't understand that once something is, you know, a plastic bag is dirty and wet, that it no longer meets the requirements of, you know, bag recycling and I, a part of it is just learning what the items get made into and so when I was trying to figure out how can I explain this to people I started looking up what do grocery store bags get made into well they get made into composite lumber you know and there's only so much demand for that both as in who's using it to make a product and then who's buying it to build with it mm -hmm. so you have a very limited demand for this item and so it's very easy if more and more places took them that you could very easily may have a greater supply than what would be needed for making the product until there's more market development and more products can be developed that are made out of plastic bags. So another thing that you've done beyond the education is you've gone to a man site format. Mm -hmm. How has that changed the dynamic of the material that's coming in? Uh, well, I was just talking earlier with some other people at the conference. Um, we generally, with both centers, we've watched it's taken like about two years to get the stuff coming in where it is, oh, you know, it's nice. It's not stinky. It's not filthy. It's, you know, easily sortable and mostly recyclable items. There is a lot, you know, there's a big learning curve. The thing that you run into when you have unmanned roll-offs is people will throw everything in it. A lot of people don't want to pay for trash. A lot of people have this idea that everything is recyclable. So it's both, both ways. And they throw everything in those roll-offs. Nobody's there to check it out. It gets hauled away, and it either gets accepted at the MRF or it gets turned away. Right. And if it gets turned away, it gets landfilled. And then everybody's work to recycle and store and wash and haul that, all that material, all that effort is wasted time just because somebody threw in a few bags of garbage or didn't clean their material or put something in like medical waste that just kills the entire load of recycling. So one of the trends that, that I've noticed over the years is if it's in my car, not me personally, and we're talking mm -hmm. about a resident, if it's in my car and I go to a recycle center, I don't care what your signs say. Does your manned position change that? Do you send um, things back home with we people? We do. We do send some stuff back. And I'm going, I'm, I just went through a training with the recycling partnership about they have a tagging that they use a lot with curbside carts, but they also now have materials available for drop-off centers. And they have oops cards and I'm thinking that that's something that I might explore using at my center because sometimes we'll just you know when we have some volunteers unloading cars for example not everyone is comfortable talking with people a lot of times people pull up to our recycle center because we unload we the public doesn't unload their stuff staff and volunteers unload at my center but the person driving the car a lot of times is on the phone and it's not always easy to have a conversation with them and so if we used a card in which there were like six items that are the most common things that people try to sneak in their recycling and we can mark it off what they brought the item that they brought that we don't take then that would make sure that it would reinforce to them that they got a card saying oops 
and it would show them what they shouldn't put in there because a lot of times we'll tell people and they'll tell us like oh I didn't do that my daughter did or my husband did oh that's my mother's so if it really is somebody else's problem then they can hand that to them and say see I told you you can't send straws to the recycling center right you know and, and it's something that just reinforces and they the recycling partnership said rejection <laughs> rejection really does change people's you know way of doing things they also said that you usually have to talk to people like seven times before they'll make the change so it's kind of an interesting you know philosophy but since we do unload we interact with people every mm-hmm. single time they come. And so if we just keep talking to them and handing them sheets that tell them, you know, we don't take hangers, we don't take straws, we don't take bags of bags, that hopefully we can make that change happen. So what we've seen a lot of times is shame is a way to influence people. And, you know, when you're doing a recycle center of that nature, it, it's helpful to have that tool, that mm-hmm. physical card to give someone to say, listen, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You're dead wrong. And this is why. And here it is in writing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's nice because it, it has a bit of an explanation on it. And that's what a lot of times people will be like, well, your employee left all this colored glass in my car and I'm really upset about it. Or why were my hangers left in there? And I think it's nice that that card has some educational material on it. And that way, if the employee couldn't hear them or they didn't hear the employee or they were on their phone or their kids were acting up in the car or they had their dog and the dog was barking at us. It makes sure that our message gets through. Absolutely. So I think that that is definitely a good idea that I've already you know, gained from attending this conference on day one. So Sarah, I really appreciate you taking the time to help us understand the different dynamics here of rural recycling and helping us to figure out, you know, how we can get people to be more close. And and what I'm hearing you say is having manned facilities that have proper education, some sort of an oops tag to get Mm -hmm. them to know what they're going to do is going to make all the difference. And that in your experience, these unmanned sites are leading to nothing but larger and larger amounts of contamination because people are using too much wishful recycling. Is, is that a fair summary yeah, of where we've been? Yes, and that and just they opened the door for illegal dumping. And I, when I started, I had, boy, I think I had four one weekend a month recycle centers, and I am now down to one. And they all have dropped out on their own because of people leaving things like couches and appliances or people overfilling the containers and throwing stuff all over the ground and then the township staff having to spend hours out cleaning up material. And so, you know, I had one when the the second township wanted out, they came to me and they wanted me to move the facility because they still wanted their residents to be able to recycle. And so I started thinking about moving it. But then it dawned on me that no matter where I put it, that problem was going to follow it. And so I thought, well, how do you fix that problem? Well, I'm like, well, you know, I need fence and I need hours and I need human supervision. And so I thought, well, where can I find that? And it dawned on me, well, why don't we look into collaborating with our landfill in our county? So we've made a contract with the CNC landfill. And um, we what they do is every time a Calhoun County resident comes to the re- their recycling center, we have issued cards to all of our townships and municipalities that don't have a single hauler contract. 
And so those townships and municipalities, when people come in and ask for the card, the person has to fill out their name and address, and they record which township and municipality. The card has a number on it. And so when they go to the landfill, they give the scale attendant this card. They enter in which township and municipality and the card number. And then twice a month, they bill the county at $3 a person going to the recycle center. And it's worked out really nice because we get the records of not the person's name, but the but township and the yep. municipality and the card number. So we track how many people are going, we're coming back. Is it something they go there and they hate it and they don't ever go back or do they go back? Do they go back a lot? How far are they willing to travel? So we found like in some instances, people that are closer are less likely to go than some further away people. But it, it's nice because then when people say, well, it's not convenient, but then we can say, well, you know, look at this is all, this is a participation that we have from all of the townships and municipalities. And because now I'm in, I'm not with the environmental health department, they put me into community development. Our GIS department is in the same as in community development too. And so they map, they make me these awesome maps. And so we, we can make maps of all the townships and municipalities and have how many people from each went to the landfill. And, you know, it's just a really useful tool to monitor growth or indicate if there's a problem. Because if numbers start dropping, then we know that there's an issue. But we also can track which days of the week they go. Um, we do weeks throughout the year, so we can kind of try to track and see when is when are people more likely to recycle. So it's generating a lot of data that will actually be helpful, you know, as we go forward Absolutely. with writing grants, that we get a good picture of who are our recyclers and where do people want to recycle. And where, you know, where, you know, if, if haulers come to us and say, you know, do you know if we offered recycling, who would be receptive to it? Well, we now know we have you this have that record yeah, absolutely. of how many people are recycling per township. Okay. So, Sarah, as we wrap it up, mm -hmm. what's one piece of advice that you have for someone in a similar position of yours? I think sometimes you just need to think out of the box and be creative and collaborate as much as possible. And, you know, never, you know, just because somebody else hasn't done it before doesn't mean that it's not a pretty cool idea that might work and really help you out. And, you know, sometimes partner, you know, a lot of times haulers and landfills get kind of a negative rap, you know, that they're not recycling. They're like the opposite of recycling, but they also haul recycling. You know, and that's the thing that people have to understand. And, you know, they also want to make sure that their landfill gets the right material in it. And some of them have limitations about how long they can keep their landfill open. And so why not use a landfill for the stuff that should be in it and, you know, try to get the recyclables into the proper channel so we can reuse them again. So it's just all about working together and collaborating and public and private partnership and thinking outside the box and thinking big picture and working, you know, not just the county, but working with your municipalities, working with neighboring counties and looking for a big solution to the problem. All right. Sarah, thank you very much for taking time out for us today. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Kelly, Calhoun County, Michigan. Thank you very much and oh. have a great rest of your day. You're welcome.